You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore dada. So I think today is going to be another news and notesy kind of dealio. Before we get there, however, I'd like to remind you one more time, because I only remember to do this about once a month. So this is your monthly reminder. Wherever it is you're listening, whether that be the Google Dealio, I don't still don't know what that's called, Google Podcasts or whatever. It's what I listen to, and I don't even know what you call it. The Google Podcast thing, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever. Do what you can, take a moment, pause this, and leave a late rating and review. I absolutely love all the support. You guys take a lot of time out of your day to message me, call in, text, whatever. Uh, get in the Facebook group, get involved. If you wouldn't mind, if you haven't yet, take a minute and uh, leave a little review ski. And uh, one little caveat, there's always a caveat with this. I'm going to be shutting one of these down soon. There's two of them. If you just go to Google and type in Packernet Podcast iTunes, you'll see at the very top is uh, one that has a rating and review of... Uh, there's 52 ratings. The other one has 16. Now, unfortunately for me... That adds up to 68 ratings, but because it's split into two, I have two shows competing with each other. So I'm going to need to shut one of them down, but it's a complicated thing as everything in life is. Anyways, make sure it's if you're doing iTunes, leave a rating and review with the Packernet podcast that has 52 ratings. Otherwise, you're just reviewing something that's going to get deleted anyways. Otherwise, again, it'd be greatly appreciated. Um, I still need to try to focus on getting that up there so that when people search for Packers podcast, Packernet podcast, you know, actually shows up. So if y'all could do that in this month of March, that would be greatly appreciated. So the first little tidbit of news I got here is from ESPN's Rob Domofsky. Here is his tweet in full. There is, quote, mutual interest, unquote, between Packers and defensive tackle Muhammad Wilkerson for next season, a source said. Wilkerson played just three games last season before a a serious ankle injury ended his season. It was a one-year, $5 million deal last year he goes on to say it would likely be another prove it deal if they did resign him so you know there's mutual interest is kind of a weak statement but it is it is at least implying that the packers are willing to bring him back right because the alternative is the packers are like nah we're moving on and it it has larger implications i mean it's a strong defensive tackle class so you got to kind of wonder and i it's strong in the first round i think it dies out pretty quickly it's a top heavy defensive tackle class but one of the questions I had was, if you take what the draft gives you, it's pretty easy to say we can get a defensive tackle, we can let Muhammad Wilkerson walk. So that question was at least floating around in my head, but then of course you still have that, it's, it, it's really a tough question. Because then if you look at that and go, that's ridiculous, we have so many other needs, we need edge rusher, we need safety, we need linebacker, we need, off, we need a ton of offensive help, why in the world are we taking a defensive tackle in the first or second round? Well, if you don't, you get to this point where you turn to Muhammad Wilkerson and say, we might need him back. 
and need is kind of strong, but there's no question the difference between our defensive line, which is hard to say because you don't know what exactly what you get from Muhammad Wilkerson, but the likely difference that you get with Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, and Muhammad Wilkerson is, is a, well, it's a much improved and stronger defensive line than we would have otherwise, which is a hard statement to make, but it's also why it's a hard decision to make. It's hard to say that definitively because he played three games, but he played them pretty well. So, I mean, it, I don't know. I, 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 I'm kind of to the point where, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Five, <laughs> do I want to pay five million again? I mean, five million is basically nothing. So saying less than five million is, is just kind of insulting. But I guess there's, there is a distinct possibility that we gain nothing. If he plays similar to how he played in 2017 and 2016, then there's no real reason to believe that we can't replace him with Dean Lowry or an ascending uh, Montrevious Adams or even Tyler Lancaster, who, by the way, was having a fantastic year last year. I mean, based just strictly on grade, even though he only played 272 snaps, which isn't super small, but it's not starter snaps. The guy was our second best defensive tackle on the team, just ahead of Muhammad Wilkerson. So there's a lot to work with, and it's a matter of, well, how much of that is fluky, how much of that is whatever, but again, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry, Mike Daniels, Montrevious Adams, Tyler Lancaster, James Looney, how much does an extra $5 million Muhammad Wilkerson provide to the team? So I don't know. I I, I guess I'm sort of indifferent on it. I'm, I'm excited about the potential upside that he could bring, but I, I almost feel like I would miss the $5 million more, because again... We talk a lot about how we have this ton, this massive amount of cap space. Well, sign your draft picks, and we're down to, what, $25 million? Sign Muhammad Wilkerson, we're down to, what, 20 That dried up pretty quick, man. You just signed one guy, you know, a $17 million Justin Houston, let's just say. Guess who's capped out? I mean, that's it. We got Justin Houston and Muhammad Wilkerson. All done. <laughs> no safeties, no wide receivers, no nothing. No tight ends, no guards. That's it. You know, that $5 million doesn't seem like much, but it can go a long way if we're talking about the difference between having, five, you know, $3 million and, t- and you know, $8-ish million could sign one other guy. And we talked about guards. We talked about some $5 million guys. So, you know, $5 million isn't very much, but it's not something I want to just throw away at a position where we've got people that could maybe play up to the standard of Muhammad Wilkerson. The only way the $5 million makes sense is if, you know, for example, Dean Lowry regresses, Montrevious doesn't take a, another leap in his third year. Tyler Lancaster regresses because, again, he was even wor- uh, better than Muhammad Wilkerson. And James Looney doesn't take a second-year leap because James Looney was already right in this conversation of being a good defensive tackle. We didn't have a bad defensive tackle. Looney and Montrevious were above average. Mike Daniels and Dean Lowry were good. Muhammad Wilkerson Tyler Lancaster were very good. Kenny Clark was elite. Well, Lancaster and Wilkerson were, I don't know, high good. Not quite very good. But those would be the tiers. Bottom tier, James Looney, Montrevious Adams. The next tier, you've got uh, Dean Lowry and Mike Daniel. The next tier, you've got Tyler Lancaster and Muhammad Wilkerson, and then you have Kenny Clark all alone. And even if a lot of these guys don't get better, I just it's $5 million at defensive tackle. I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I think Pettin has a lot of, you know, he, he feels the need at defensive tackle. But again... Real strong defensive tackle class. If we want one that badly, it's they're going to be available. Take Jerry Tillery at 30. I mean, it, it's either this important or it's not. Because if you're just going to say, yeah, well, we have other needs, we shouldn't dress. Well, then fine. Let's not spend $5 million on Montrevious or Mon- Muhammad Wilkerson then if we have, you know, other needs. Spend the $5 million elsewhere. So I don't know. It's, it's 
Again, it's sort of a, a throwaway. Mutual interest just means the Packers haven't ruled it out and they're having conversations trying to discuss how much money. Uh, there's, there's very little doubt in my mind that Mike Pettin sees this as somebody he really wants on his team and as somebody that he feels would be very important piece to his defense. Because at this point, it just doesn't make any sense. I mean, unless we're, we're going to get him even less than $5 million, which would be nice. I mean, technically last year, I think we paid him, what, $4.5 million was our cap hit because of his injury. So I don't know. We'll see. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Moving right along, a little bit of uh, potential bad news for the Antonio Brown folks. A few days ago, it was mentioned by the Browns, I don't know, GM or something, that three teams have expressed interest in Antonio Brown. Well, according to Adam Schefter, he's figured out who those three teams are. Um, One of the teams who was expected to have reached out was the Raiders. Apparently that is true. The other two teams are the Redskins, very, very needy team at wide receiver, and the Titans, a team that in my recent mock draft I said wouldn't be the worst idea if they had, pretty much similar to the Packers. Um, Not that they have... Uh, Devonte Adams, but I think the dynamic changes if you get that true number one because they've got guys that are just kind of, but slide Taiwan Taylor in the slot, put AB on the outside, and that's a whole different offense. But either way, um, the Packers are not one of those three teams that have reached out. He did say that more teams have, uh, you know, talked to him since, so it's entirely possible. But you know, another thing that Brian Gutekunst had mentioned that I thought was funny on that Ian Rappaport um, podcast is that Ian asked a question, you know, considering you guys were so aloof over the years in free agency, do you almost have to reach out to teams and, and demonstrate to them that you're serious when you say you have interest? And I thought it was a weird question, but apparently the answer to that question was yes. It almost gave the impression of the Packers just didn't take part in this process. In other words, the entire process, like right now with the Combine, where teams get together and they start talking about stuff, and it's it's not just the GM, but everybody else. They they really reach out, and um, you know it's not to say maybe a guy like Gutekunst and Wolf were were talking, but you wonder over the years when when the trigger never got pulled, if teams just kind of said you know when when a guy like Gutekunst or Wolf or whoever starts talking about hey what's going on with so and so in this trade, a lot of teams just kind of maybe gave some basic details, but they're like, I know you're not going to actually do anything, so why am I going to waste my time talking to you about it? So Gutekunst said in this interview with Ian Rappaport that they did have to actually make a concerted effort to be, on one part, almost aggressive just for the sake of of demonstrating to the rest of the NFL, no, we're serious. We are going to be pulling the trigger. We are going to be players in this market. Um, So when we call, you might want to pick up our phone calls. 
So it was an interesting tidbit, but I, I say all that to say that if there was serious interest in Antonio Brown and you have a GM that's saying we're going to be super aggressive and also we need to make sure people know, and if you even just look at last year, whenever something was said about, oh, there's there's three teams that have expressed interest in this player, at least 70% of the time the Packers are one of those teams. That's what made last year so amazing. It's like, man, Gutekunst is calling on everybody. The odds that the Packers are super in on Antonio Brown but are not one of these three teams, kind of tells me that they're out. I would be willing to bet they have not even bothered to call, and it makes sense for all the reasons that we said. It just is an absolute grenade thrown in that locker room. And they've also expressed the importance of, of cohesion between the players and the coaches and the locker room and all this stuff and really trying to get that right. We've talked about how last year... Gutekunst went out of his way to clean out players that maybe didn't quite have the right kind of attitude or demeanor that the Packers are looking for. So to turn around and get Antonio Brown makes absolutely no sense. I would be willing to bet a lot. As much as I would be willing to bet quite a bit that um, the Packers are on the phone about Justin Houston, I'd be willing to bet just about as much that Antonio Brown has not even been given, or that the Steelers have not even been given a phone call from the Packers regarding Antonio Brown because because he is essentially off their board, if you will. Another bit of uh, hilarity ensued as it was reported that these slot receivers that we've, we've talked about, uh, whether that be Golden Tate or Adam Humphreys, apparently are looking for contracts in and around the 10 to $12 million range. That's just kind of silly, man. Now, it's entirely possible they go out there and they say, this is what I want, and then they don't get it, and then they take less. Um, but that's just not going to happen, man. I mean, Golden Tate at least has somewhat of a case. Adam Humphreys, I, dude's not even that good. I mean, he's 25, which is cool. You can get him kind of young and on a a longer term contract. Not a single team in their right mind is going to sign him anywhere near $10 million. And if they do, I'm just going to not stop laughing. Unless, of course, it's the Packers, in which case I'm just going to cry hysterically. Because considering what I just, what lengths I went to to say that I'm pained at the idea of giving up $5 million for Muhammad Wilkerson, who is a really good player, and again, $5 million. We're talking about Adam Humphreys, who's basically Randall Cobb, except he doesn't have any of the chemistry, and, you know, maybe isn't even quite as good as Randall Cobb, and $10 million. I mean, I, I just, I got nothing. I got nothing. There's just no way. And Golden Tate, again, you could kind of make an argument if you so chose. And if anybody's getting $10 bucks, I could see it a case for Golden Tate, especially, as, as weird as it sounds, because he's 30, but it's going to be $10 million for one year. And that's still way too much money. And no, there's no way in, in the world I think the Packers should pay him $10 million. I'm just saying it's, it's not impossible that somebody, somewhere, pays the man. But that kind of stinks. I, I was thinking that would be a pretty good fit, but I was thinking more in the five-ish million dollar range. But whatever, we'll see how it goes. It's going to be interesting to see how the free agent market shakes up. I mean, who knows? Maybe the safeties are going to be, you know, you get the top end of the market saying, I want 15, 16, 17. I mean, I don't think they're going to get it, but if Golden Tate's asking for 12, I, you know, <laughs> why why can't the best safety in the NFL by far ask for 17? Hopefully that doesn't happen, but uh, we shall see. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. 
And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Switching gears now over to the combine, which is just in full swing. Actually, right now I'm getting uh, updates on the cornerback measurements. Uh, If you haven't done it, it's probably too late already, but Charles Robinson on Twitter is literally every single person that gets, uh, you know, height, weight, hand, arm, wingspan measurements. He's got it up there. So I would recommend, just because of all the hard work he's putting in, go ahead and give him a follow. But um, th- there's been some some screaming going on about um, some of the offensive linemen. If you've been paying attention, some of these guys have already been getting uh, a lot of hype. But it, it's all good news because the Packers, who do need help, especially at interior, um, some, some real good uh, insights here. For example, Garrett Bradbury, interior offensive lineman out of NC State. As far as athleticism, and remember, the Green Bay Packers are looking for very athletic guards. They always have. That's not anything different. Ted Thompson has always been looking for those guys, which is why he is always converting tackles to guards and all this kind of stuff. But with an emphasis on outside zone, you, you it's a bigger need than I think it was before. The Packers had run outside zone in the past, but it, it, was, it was a feature that happened on occasion as opposed to it being sort of the staple of the, the Packers' offense. And for those that don't know, it's it's... It's really not complicated. There's inside zone, which is a zone run, which just is the guys kind of running laterally and blocking whoever happens to be in their zone. But the emphasis is is on running to the inside, which is why the Packers are always running between the tackles, right? It's usually between the guard and the tackle is the focus, but you can kind of cut back whenever, wherever. Outside zone, you're trying to get to the outside of the tackle. So you're running a lot further out. And if the guards are going to be involved in that and they need to pull and get to the outside, the distance that they have to travel, let's say it's running to the right side, if you're the left guard and you now have to get to the outside of the play to kind of help lead block, you've got a lot further distance to travel. So speed and athleticism and all those things come into play. Well, Garrett Bradbury, who I um, have listed here as a center, I don't know if there's any possibility of him possibly sliding to guard, but I had him on NFL Big Board at 56th overall. The highest that he had been ranked was 19th. So some people already had him really high on their board. And John Ledger here, apparently, I I haven't updated it since John Ledger and some of these guys came out with the recent uh, one top 150, but he says right here on the site he listed him as his sixth overall player, which is to say a freak. I mean, sixth overall player, we're talking about, that. I mean, that's Quentin Nelson territory. I mean, that that's incredible. We went from having, as far as offensive line, maybe a guy like Jonah Williams in the top 10, maybe one or two guys at 30, but no guards at all. You know, that's that's mid to late second we're talking. Now all of a sudden you start looking at some of these, and, and it's prior to the combine, some of these things started to come up. But now with all this athletic testing and some of these guys doing really well, it's pretty incredible. As far as some of his testing goes, a 4.9240, 34 reps on the bench, and his three cone was a 7.41. And apparently according to Mock Draftable, which tracks all this stuff, that would be tied for the 13th highest of all time. So no question this guy is an athletic freak. Now do I want the Packers to take an interior offensive lineman? Let's just say he can play guard at 12? No, I don't. Do I think at this point he's going to make it to 30? No, I don't. But keep an eye on it. 
Because if guys like this do start to fall to 30, and there's several of them, it's kind of the thing. You got an interior offensive lineman, the, the value of that is relatively low. You look at the value of all the defensive linemen that are there, these are people that have to get drafted. I mean, you can't have 40 people in the top 20 that are not going to slip past 20. You understand what I'm saying? We can't go through a list and, and <laughs> if we're going to say which guys aren't going to slip past 20, you can only give me 20 names. At some point, we're going to get to the point where it's like, well, I guess this guy is going to slip past 20, or possibly could. Another guy, and again, I do have him listed as a center, but Eric McCoy, um, on my board at his highest, I have him at 21, but um, overall 76th, but interior offensive lineman out of Texas A&M. Not a super great three-cone time, but his 40 time was pretty awesome, which again, if we're talking about speed, is going to be kind of important. Uh, They also mentioned Andre Dillard, but I'm not going to really talk much about him. It sounds to me like Andre Dillard is um, very athletic, but a bit of a project. In other words, everything that's good about Andre Dillard is athleticism, and I can't help but think about Spriggs every time somebody mentions Andre Dillard. So, no thanks. And then somebody else that Mark has really been high on for a long time is Chris Lindstrom. Again, really knocked that out of the park, and if you're paying attention to what's going on today with tight ends and wide receivers... The good thing about this is you look at Chris Lindstrom and you say, well, I don't know if he's going to be available. At this point, with all these people performing as well as they are, I mean, 44 for Chris Lindstrom isn't impossible. Look at these tight ends. Look at these wide receivers. Look at, you know, what's going on with, with, you know, some of these edge guys and the rumors that are going around with edge guys. Look at the rumors going on with quarterbacks right now. I mean, it's just, it's crazy out there in Twitter town. So I can sit here and tell you how great Chris Lindstrom did, but I mean, it just... (sighs) Just based on this, if you take away everything else that I've heard and seen in the Combine, I'm saying Chris Lindstrom is probably going before we get to pick 30. But again, you can't say that about any more than 29 guys. So pick 29 guys. I don't think Chris Lindstrom is in that 29. And that's that's exactly what I was talking about, I think, yesterday. When you, when you talk about the elite elite, I don't know if we're going to get one at 12. A lot of people in the Packers world are like, oh, of course we will, because, you know, You've got a bunch of guys, quarterbacks that are probably going to go. You know, now there's rumors that Drew Locke is probably going to go top 10 because he's drawing comparisons. Some of these scouts, um, when they watch Drew Locke's arm talent, they see Pat Mahomes. Well, I don't care what you see on tape. If if he reminds you of Pat Mahomes, regardless of his production, somebody's going to trade up and take him. And a lot of people are thinking he could go top 10. But even with that, I'm still stretching, right? DK Metcalf, okay, after what he just did, He's absolutely on the list at 12. If he falls to 12, I want the Packers to take him. Ed Oliver, considering he did what he did at 290, I'm a little more comfortable with him once again. I was a little bit concerned with him supposedly being very light, but 290, I mean, he's Mike Daniels, except he's way more athletic, just a freak. So, okay, fine. You got Josh Allen, you got, I kind of wanted to do this tomorrow, but whatever. You got Bosa. So DK, Oliver, Bosa, and Allen, that's four. Quinnen is five. Let's say three quarterbacks go. We're at eight. There's three guys that are going to go um, before the Packers even get there, and I kind of just ran out of guys. I'm not. not I love Brian Burns, and I, I like Jakai Polite, although I don't like him being a little crybaby out there talking about everybody's picking on me. But I'm 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 not going to put them in that elite category. So that's kind of the problem. I think if you're in the top eight, you know, you ah, eh, I don't know. It depends when the quarterbacks go, but. I would say if I'm sitting at eight, I feel pretty good because there's also the opportunity for a guy like 
Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy at cornerback, Devin White at linebacker is an opportunity. Offensive lineman, look at what what we've just been talking about. Jonah Williams is a possibility. Cody Ford is a possibility. Uh, Juwan Taylor, they could maybe go. And, and, and also the tight ends. I don't, I don't think any of them go before 12. And yeah, technically you could call Fant a freak, but I just, you know, freak, but he's he's a tight end freak. I mean, O.J. Howard is is pretty comparable to what Noah Fant has been doing. And O.J. Howard's awesome, but if you ask me right now, would you rather have the opportunity to draft D.K. Metcalf or, or take O.J. Howard? I'm taking D.K. Metcalf in a second because the ceiling for D.K. Metcalf at this point in time is Julio Jones. And I don't know what he's actually going to be, but his measurables are better than Julio Jones, man. O.J. Howard is good, and he's a better blocker than Fant. So, I mean, I guess when I say freak, I'm talking about freaks that are just going to absolutely be transformational for a franchise. Quinnen Williams is going to change the game for a franchise. Nick Bosa is a game changer. Josh Allen, I'm, I'm still a little torn on. I, I have a hard time saying it, but I'll concede it because everyone else wants to say it. So, yeah, Josh Allen, game changer. Ed Oliver, very likely a game changer. I, I don't have a whole lot else. Or DK, yeah, DK. But, getting back to my original point. From, let's just say there's six or seven. From seven all the way to pick 44 with the, the Packers' second-round pick, I mean, I, I, I'm, we're, we're, we're still in, like, that second tier. Guys that are usually good between, like, 10 to 15, like the Jairs, that level of talent, that level of, yeah, that he's pretty good, clear through the second round. Jonah Williams, Cleland Furl, De- uh, Devin White, Rashawn Gary, Jeffrey Simmons, Greedy Williams, Byron Murphy, uh, Ja'Kai Polite, Christian Wilkins, Montez Sweat, Cody Ford, Deontay Thompson, DeAndre Baker, Brian Burns, you know, Hawkinson on the high end of that, Noah Fant, Josh Jacobs, really good running back. I mean, he, he Joshua Jacobs is a top 10 talent. It's just a matter of similar to the tight ends, positionally, eh potentially transformational, potentially top 10 running back in the NFL type guy. But he, he's likely available all the way through to 44, or, you know, I, I shouldn't say that. He'll be going in the first round. But Juwan Taylor, fantastic offensive lineman. Uh, Nikhil Harry, Calvin Harmon, Mac Wilson, Hollywood Brown. I'm not going to say Greg Little. I think he's he's been sitting around late first. I think he's, I don't know if he gets picked in the second round. He could be a third round guy by the time this is all done with. Dexter Lawrence, like a true nose tackle, if you just want that big man in the middle, he's a real good option. Irv Smith at tight end, awesome. Nasir Adderley at safety, awesome. A.J. Brown, a good wide receiver. Devin Bush could be a first-round guy. And that's what I'm saying. These guys are good enough to be, you know, pick 15, pick 20. But but they could make it to 44 or beyond. Dalton Reisner, Debo Samuel, Andre Dillard, Jerry Tillery. uh, Taylor Rapp, Zach Allen, Julian Love, Amani Aruarie, Yadni Kajust. It just, the list goes on, man. So it's for that reason that I wouldn't be super surprised if the Packers trade back just because, you know, if we're talking about a, a Brian Burns maybe at 12, or let's let's flip that and say instead of taking Ja'Kai Polite at 12, let's say we trade back, we get Brian Burns at 20 and, a, and an additional second round pick. So we get Brian Burns, we get Kelvin Harmon, uh, we get Nasir Adderley, and then we come back and get... Uh, you know, Chris Lindstrom, or Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, or, you know, I don't know, David Edwards, Gerald Willis, defensive tackle, Riley Ridley, Hakeem Butler, Rocky Sin. Uh, 
I, I, it, it's, there's some talent here, man. So I'm, I'm just trying to draw that picture of those tiers. They're the super elite. I don't know if they fall to 12. And if, if the Packers really want to get in there, they're going to have to probably trade up to get it. But I don't know that that's super necessary. I don't want to trade up to get Josh Allen. I don't want to trade up for a defensive tackle. So that gets rid of Quinnen or Ed Oliver. Nick Bosa is as good as he is. First of all, trading up would just destroy, <laughs> we would have to give away everything. Second of all, everything awesome about Nick Bosa is his ability as a hand-in-the-dirt 4-3 defensive end. If you stand him up on the outside, everything changes. His abilities change. Beyond that, if you look at what scouts are currently saying about the outside linebacker, or excuse me, about edge rushers, just edge rushing, not talking about anything else, just edge rushing Nick Bosa, according to Tony Pauline, ranking all the edge rushers, we're talking about getting after the quarterback. Nick Bosa was rated third behind Josh Allen and Ja'Kai Polite. So take Nick Bosa, stand him up, take away that explosion out of that stance, tell him he has to run standing up and use his hands to get past people. It changes everything. So who are we trading up for? So I don't see us trading up. I don't see the elite guys falling back. And for that reason, I'm just saying, I could see trading back in this situation. But anyways, just absolute madness going on at the Combine. I don't know if it's just because we're all just starved for information, but I feel like this is a really good crop. Not Again, not really good as far as like super elite guys outside of DK Metcalf, who put himself um, from the wide receiver one in a pretty lame wide receiver class to, you know, potentially, um, you know, Hall of Fame level type guy. I mean, it's a once in a generation type talent. He is above Julio Jones. He is, he, he is sandwiched in between Megatron and Julio Jones are, are his measurables. So again, we, we could talk about Fant, and Fant is good, but Fant gets blown out of the water compared to a guy like Vernon Davis and is probably closer compared to an O.J. Howard, who again is good. Fant will be a good tight end. Hawkinson will be a good tight end, but I don't think that in 20 years we're going to be talking about Noah Fant. D.K. Metcalf, maybe. Quinnen Williams, maybe. Nick Bosa, maybe. Ed Oliver, maybe. That's what I'm talking about. Those kinds of guys. The kinds of guys like Megatron, when somebody runs like that, everyone's mind goes to, wow, I haven't seen that since uh, Calvin Johnson. Unstoppable. Dominant. Can't do anything. Can't stop him. Won't stop him. You know, Rob Gronkowski type guys. I, w- I want to make sure we get it because that's that's what I'm talking about. Some people we talk about like, you know, y- you want to talk about Nick Bosa and Josh Allen in the same breath, and it's just like, no, man, they're just not. They're not the same. Quinnen Williams is, and Josh Allen, that's a joke. And I don't mean any disrespect, and Josh Allen, I'm sure, is going to be great, but I, I just, Quinnen Williams is the kind of guy that just, you don't, there's nothing you can do to stop him. Aaron Donald in the NFL, you, you, you just can't stop him. You never will be able to stop him, and as long as he's going at a high level in the NFL, he will continue to wreck lives. I love Jair, and I don't want to get rid of Jair, and I love his potential and his upside, and hopefully he can become one of these days a top 15, top 10 corner. We'll see how he develops. But Jair is a tier two type of guy. It was a great pick for where we picked him. Great value, great pick. He is not a top five kind of guy. He is not those elite kind of guys. So that's what I'm talking about when I say aren't those kind of guys aren't going to fall to the Packers at 12. And again, the only reason I'm bringing this up is if you go on Twitter right now, that's we oh, this is going to push some of those guys down to us. No, it's not. I mean, if, to be completely honest, Quinnen is maybe the one guy that I would say is a can't-miss, just dominant freak. Nick Bosa would be the other one. I don't know if there's a third for me. 
Second tier, Josh Allen, Ed Oliver. And now we take DK and maybe throw him up with number one and two with those kinds of guys. So it's DK, Bosa, and Williams, and then tier two is Josh Allen, Ed Oliver. And then after that, you get to that just pile, a massive pile of guys like Jair, where if we draft him, it's like, oh, cool, he's a good, he's a good player. But again, we can have that reaction to those kinds of guys at 20, just like we can have it at 12. And that, and that's my per- perception of it. Other people, I know I've I been talking to people on Twitter about uh, uh, Devin White, Matt um, Nosek, Nosek. He's been banging the drum for Devin White all day long. Every time I look, he's, he's talking with somebody about White. That's his guy, and he's going to put him on that list, and that's, that's awesome. Go ahead and go ahead and build your list. But I, I guess that's just kind of my thought right now. I, I believe strongly, let me summarize it this way, I believe strongly that Brian Gutekunst has the ability, not just with the number 12 or our first pick, not just with the number 30 or our second pick, but with three picks, with three picks, I think in that range from, let's say, 10 to 50, there are going to be guys that are just phenomenal. And, and by the, let's, let's use Jair as our standard. That Jair-level guys, I think they're going to be between 10 and 50, and we've got three picks in there. So Gutekunst, I think, has a prime opportunity to get really, really, really good players. Imagine getting three Jairs. An edge rush Jair, who's not, you know, again, we're not talking about top 10. We're talking about starter caliber. We're talking about a a top 30, top 32 edge rusher. That's solid. The guy plays really solid almost all year. He ends up with, you know, eight and a half sacks on the year. Has a really good year. Seven sacks, whatever. I don't know. However you would translate Jair to edge rusher. I don't know. But then we get a Jair offensive lineman and a Jair tight end. Or whatever it is in your mind. I'm, I'm just saying, I believe that's going to happen. I don't know if we're going to get a DK. I don't know if we're going to get a Quinnen, though. But I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And maybe this is me just trying to trying to calm myself because I'm, <laughs> I'm seeing the freaks. And when we pick at 30 every year, it's fine because I know we're not getting them. And I just hope we get somebody that's starter caliber. When we're sitting at 12, it's like, I hope somebody falls. But I just don't know if it's going to happen. But maybe you could rephrase it this way. There is a chance at 12... We get a freak with the additional possibility that we can get Jair caliber guys at 30 and 44. Again, go. Uh, I, maybe I didn't say it. Go check out uh, the mock draft that I did with Mark Jarvis. I just posted it, I think, yesterday. In that mock draft, and this is he's not a Packer fan. And, and basically what I did is I was the GM and he was the scout. And I just told him, this is my team. This is the problem. This is what I want to do. You give me the prospect. And he would give me some options and I would make the pick. By the end of that, the the picks that we had, spoiler alert, if you don't want to hear this, then just skip ahead about, I don't know, 30 seconds. But the first pick was Josh Allen, and the second was TJ Hawkinson. And it wasn't, again, not because I wanted it to fall that way. I was trying to push those guys. I was trying to get them off the board, and he was like, no, it just doesn't really work here. I would prefer to do this, or maybe we should stick with this. How about let's do this? If you just look at the needs, and if you look at the, the scheme, and if you look at all this different stuff... You just don't know how stuff's going to fall. And this combine is wrecking stuff. DK Metcalf flying up in there. Right, you look at Arizona. Arizona's uh, supposedly switching to a 3-4 scheme, meaning they're probably not going to be taking um, Nick Bosa, is is my thought process here. Now there's a ton of hype about trading away Allen and taking Kyler Murray. For now, I'm going to stay away with that, stay away from that. But at that point, number one becomes Quinnen Williams. At at number two, then it becomes very obvious. Number two is going to be uh, Nick Bosa. 
Number three, the Jets, they need to either take DK Metcalf or trade out of this spot. Now, we had them taking DK because we weren't doing any trades in this mock, but if they decide to trade out, then somebody moves up. Let's say it's the Giants move up at number three and get uh, Kyler or Haskins or whoever. So Oakland at four takes somebody. Is it going to be Josh Allen, though? I don't think so. It could be, but it could be a quarterback. As much as I, I pushed away from that and said, no, I don't think we're going quarterback here, it could be. It could be DK Metcalf. A lot of people saying he doesn't slide past four. I mean, you, you could make a case for Ed Oliver. You could make a case for offensive linemen. You could make a case for a lot of different things here. I mean, if the Giants do move up and get a guy like Haskins, then you look at the Oakland Raiders and you say, okay, you got Drew Locke, who's drawing comparisons by some people to Pat Mahomes, and you have Kyler Murray, and then you've got this coach who just in his mind, is, is looking for these revolutionary guys that he can do all this crazy scheme stuff to and, you know, do the his, his banana plays and whatnot. Maybe we do go quarterback. Maybe we do go DK. You look at Tampa Bay. What are they looking for? They're not looking for an outside linebacker. Number three for the Jets, or number six now with the Jets because the Giants moved up. If DK's here, he's gone. Otherwise, we're looking at offensive linemen. The Jaguars are another 4-3 team. They need a quarterback badly. They're probably taking a quarterback. Look at number eight with the Detroit Lions. They might take a pass rusher, but I don't think it's Josh Allen. They're a 4-3 team. Now, if you want to squeeze Josh Allen into a 4-3 team, fine. Go ahead and take him. But Brian Burns is a good 4-3 guy. Cleland Farrell is a good 4-3 guy. Buffalo Bills, what do they need? They need offensive line. They need wide receivers. They need tight ends. They need help on offense. So they could take Fant. They could take Hawkinson. They can take uh, Juwan Taylor. They can take Jonah Williams. They can take Lindstrom. They could take uh, DK if he's available. They're taking offense. We're all the way to 10, and I can already see Josh Allen falling. Denver Broncos, what do they want? They want a quarterback. They want uh, offense. They want, you know, linebacker. You look at what they've done with linebackers over there in Denver with Vic Fangio. They need cornerback help. They've got one really good corner, and they're talking about letting, let, let's shop them. Well, we got Greedy Williams. We got all these different guys. Number 10, we definitely don't want pass rusher. Then you got the Cincinnati Bengals. I can guarantee you one thing. If they're getting anybody, it's going to be Devin White, the linebacker. If, if, if not him, you could make a case for, for uh, uh, Devin Bush at linebacker. Otherwise, offensive line is a huge need. So, I mean, Josh Allen shouldn't fall to 12 to the Green Bay Packers, but I'm just saying, who's going to take him? Give me the 3-4 teams, or the teams that are a 3-4 defense that want to take a 3-4 outside linebacker in Josh Allen. And even if you want to squeeze him into a 4-3, fine. Who's it going to be? And I don't have any doubt that he can play hand in the dirt, but you're, you're taking so much away from him. One of his greatest attributes is his ability to drop into coverage. Now, would that stop the Detroit Lions from grabbing him anyways because he's going to be awesome with his hand in the dirt? Probably not. But his, his value is, is really, really high as an outside linebacker. His value drops. It's the exact same thing with, with Nick Bosa as a 3-4 outside linebacker. I'm sure he would be dominant as a 3-4 outside linebacker, but you've got to take a lot of his value away. Because, I mean, does he have any ability whatsoever to drop into coverage? And if not, are you just never going to do it? You know how much that limits a 3-4 team? Yeah, and, and listen, I fully understand that, that teams are primarily using nickel. Here's the problem. Even if it's 30% that you're in your base, that's 30% where you got a guy that just is out of place. And he's maybe supposed to be the best guy on your team. So, I guess what I'm saying is we can't we can't assume a single thing. It's entirely possible that you get you get a guy like Ed Oliver to fall to 12. We had Ed Oliver fall to 14 to the Atlanta Falcons for the exact same reason, which would be a dream scenario. So it's entirely possible Ed Oliver and Josh Allen are sitting there at 12. Super likely, no. Would I put money on it? No. But it's possible. 
Because there's more things in play than just big boards. Like, well, this is the number three guy on the big board. This is the number five guy on the big board. So they have to be gone. No, they don't. What does the team need? What do they need? And who, who's going to reach? Which guys are going to reach on offensive players because they need offensive playmakers? Who's going to reach on offensive linemen? Like, a, you know, the 15th best guy in the, in the class because they need offensive line at pick nine. Buffalo. So I, I don't know, man. I'm, I'm, I'm getting all kinds of jacked up and hyped up. And um, to be honest, I was kind of hoping to do this tomorrow. And I, I think we will anyways. I, I want to take some time and reassess and kind of gather my thoughts and see what's going on with all these prospects and see what the new hype and the new buzz is. But I kind of want to look at this and kind of see where we're sitting uh, situationally with 12 and 30 and 44 uh, and just kind of see what our options are. Because the great thing about the combine, and I, I had mentioned this that Brian Gutekunst had said, um, you know, the, the board is kind of what it is. They have their meetings and they set a board and then it doesn't move all that much. Then they go to the combine and it just gets flipped on its head and then it just kind of stays. So after the combine, everything goes crazy. And for me, a guy that has a big board based on aggregations of everyone else's big boards, I can't wait to see how things change in the coming weeks because I've had this big board since, what, November? Maybe even earlier? So yeah, there's there's been some changes, but it's like guys slowly creeping up, guys slowly creeping down. This is going to flip things on their head. Every assumption we've ever had is going to change after this weekend. Narratives are going to continue to fly around. We're still hearing about Kyler Murray going number one to Arizona. DK Metcalf is almost a top five lock. We'll see if, if that hype cools over the next couple of days, but at this point, he's a lock. Noah Fant, who's gone from 15 and has slowly slid to the back of the first round, I get the impression he's going to work his way right back up. I don't think Fant or Hawkinson at this point fall to 30, but again, how many guys are guaranteed not to fall to 30? That's one of the things I want to work on tonight and into tomorrow. I want to look at... How many guys can we sit here and say, nope, not going to make it to 30? And I can only pick 29 names. So it's going to be a fun exercise, but I, I got to get out of here. I've uh, This has been a very long podcast. There is one more thing I want to address, though. It was a voicemail that I got. I got a call from Jim in Florida, and he has a what grinds my gears, and unfortunately, I grind his gears. <laughs> he's, he's, he's pretty mad at me, but I, I want to get it out there because it's a good opportunity to maybe kind of explain things, not that it matters, but... Just kind of address it publicly for everybody and, and specifically to Jim. Hi, Ryan. This is Jim calling from Florida. Uh, I got a couple comments I'd like to make to you. First of all, your podcast is great. I really, really do enjoy it. But at the same time, you definitely grind my gears. Yesterday, March 1st in Florida, podcasts never come on until 10 o'clock at night. Today, March 2nd, it's noon in Florida, no sign of you. And believe it or not, by 10 o'clock at night, uh, all the other podcasts have already given all the news that you are going to wrap up on your show. So, unfortunately, that's the way it is as a listener. Thanks. So, first of all, Jim, thank you very much for calling in. And uh, for for everybody in general, I know sometimes the podcast is getting out kind of late. That's that's never my intention. I hate when that happens, not just because, for like he said, everybody's already got their opinion out there. So my my, you know, my news that I'm going to talk to you about has already been talked about, so by the time you hear my podcast, you've heard it 4,000 times. And I, I know what that's like. I listen to some other 
Sometimes when I listen to Packers podcasts, I just don't even bother because I've read all the articles, I've heard the other podcasts, and it's like, dude, I'm not listening to it for the fourth time. I'm just not. But it is what it is. Beyond that, I go to bed at 8 o'clock at night. There are times I'm up until 8.30, 9 o'clock at night because I haven't got the podcast out yet because sometimes life just happens. Thursday, I just found out that my $1,000 car needs $3,000 worth of repairs and that it's not safe to drive anymore. So, I have to spend my days going out car shopping and dealing with slimy car salesmen who just constantly are lying to me about everything and I just can't handle that nonsense. So I got to get up at 3 and then if I, you know, the problem is my kids wake up at like 5. So if I'm not done yet, I got to take care of the kids. And then when my wife gets up, she wants to talk about this and how we're going to do this. And then we got to get out and do all this stuff. And then we go out and do all these things until this and that time. And then we come home and then they've got YMCA. They got all these other things. I got to watch the kids. I can't say, okay, sit down in front of the TV. I'm going to go do podcast because I got a two-year-old daughter. She's going to go stick a fork in her eye or something. I don't know. This isn't, this is irrelevant to you, but I'm just trying to get you to understand it's not laziness. I'm doing everything I can to try to get these podcasts out. Sometimes it's going to happen. But, you, you know, you don't need to be upset. You really don't. You're not, and again, this is why I appreciate the call, because you're, you're just telling me up front, just so you know, I've already heard it, and I'm not listening to your podcast if it's not out until 10 o'clock. My hope is, I'm going to get it out at 10, you'll listen to it the next morning. But if not, then I, I just lost some listens, and that's just the way it is. But beyond that, just just to kind of give you my thought maybe I'm wrong about this first of all breaking news is not going to happen on a podcast so my hope is everybody that's listening to this is listening to hear my my specific take on it so when I talk about Justin Houston of course you already know about Justin Houston and I said that right on the podcast obviously you've heard of this by now but I wanted to give my take and not just my take but give some insights I want to talk to you guys about the contract situation and understand what's going on with that to the best of my understanding I want to talk to you about why I like Justin Houston, why I don't want uh, Golden Tate for $10 million, why I, I don't mind Olivier Vernon, but I don't want him for very much money, and just, just try to give you a fuller picture. And, and again, if, if, if my opinion is just on par with Pack-A-Day, with um, you know, Locked On, with uh, you know, Blue 58, P60, UK Packers podcast, what, if, if, if I'm just on par with them, then I definitely understand. Then, again, you've heard it three times. That's enough. I got other stuff to do with my life. But that's what I got for you. And I I, I can tell you that that's going to happen. And it, it happens more on the weekends. On the weekends, I like to spend a little bit more time, and then that time bleeds over into when everybody's awake, and then it's just done. And I can just, like today, I've done this, I've worked on this podcast now in three different segments. I sneak downstairs to get some done, and then it's just like I have to go back up and take care of stuff. Right now, the family's gone and my two-year-old is sleeping, so I got to get this done. It's just life. You know, I mean, I, I, I wish this was my full-time job. If it was, I promise you it would be out every day at the exact same time because this would be my job and I would just go to my little office and that's what it would be. But I've got a wife. I've got three kids. I have a full-time job. I have a YouTube channel. I have a website. I also am working with other websites. I've, I've got, you know, a ton of stuff going on behind the scenes. I used to have other side businesses that I gave up for the sake of dedicating more time to this stuff so all i can say is i'm doing my best and i hope you stick with me and hopefully i'm providing enough content that uh, you know if it comes out at 10 o'clock just go to bed wake up and, and see what i got something to say and if it's just the same garbage that everybody else is saying you have my permission to just turn it off but anyways that's it i'm completely burned out i'm gonna go um i don't know i think i 
I got stuff to do, but I think I'm going to unplug. I found this channel on YouTube with uh, these guys that prank call scammers. You know, like guys that call you up and they're like, hey, you know, you got $10 million. You just have to pay me 200 bucks and we'll send you a $10 million check or whatever from the Prince of Nigeria. They call these guys up and mess with them and it just cracks me up. If you're super interested in what I'm talking about on YouTube, it's The Hoax Hotel. There's a million of these guys that do it and they're, you know, pretty funny in their own way. But that guy is just, he's got a way about him, man. He plays dumb better than anybody I've ever seen in my entire life. But whatever, I'm going to veg out, eat some pizza, waste a day. But as always, uh, for the 240-something consecutive day in a row, I will be back tomorrow. I will have more content for you, and um, I'll do my best to, to try to get out before everybody else. Have a good one. Bye-bye.